Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word keys for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with a code word keys. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs. Keys to Recruiting and Retaining Men in Speech-Language Pathology. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs and receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. Matt Easley is employed at On With Life. He receives an honorarium from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this presentation. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. Perry Flynn is the consultant to the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction in the area of speech-language pathology and a professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He receives an honorarium from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this presentation. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. And as a reminder, if you are joining us for this live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz by the end of the day today on your speechtherapypd.com account. We encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer throughout the episode and at the end of the episode. And now I am honored to introduce our presenters today, our guests today, Perry Flynn and Matt Easley. Perry Flynn is the consultant to the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction in the area of speech-language pathology and a professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He is a fellow of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and a two-time member of ASHA's Board of Directors and Board Certified Specialist in Child Language. He is also a Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship Certified Therapeutic Horseback Riding Instructor. That is a mouthful, but that is something really exciting that I hope we have a chance to talk to at the end of our podcast today. He has presented several times at ASHA conventions on the topic of recruiting and retaining men and minorities to speech language pathology and has written several articles on the topic. 
And Matt Easley has worked as a speech-language pathologist with On With Life in Ankeny, Iowa since December 2019. He obtained his bachelor's and master's degrees at the University of Northern Iowa. Matt completed his internship with On With Life inpatient program in the spring of 2019, and he is currently a part of the outpatient program at On With Life. In March 2020, Matt received his Certificate of Clinical Competence from the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. Additionally, he is a certified brain injury specialist and is certified to administer the Lee Silverman Voice Treatment LOUD program. So quite the list of accomplishments to mention for both of you, but you know, it's always tricky when we have two guests, we want to make sure we get all of that in. So welcome today. We are so happy to have you both. Thanks, Mary Beth. It is our pleasure. On behalf of Matt, I'll say thank you to speechtherapypd.com and to you for having us today. Well, I was so excited that you both agreed to be guests today. We met, I met both of you at the ASHA convention last November and was able to listen in on this topic discussion. And I felt like it was so important to our field and so relevant today in recruiting men and retaining men in the professions that I was really excited to have this podcast. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Yeah, us too. Yeah, thanks for having us. It is a topic of great importance to us. Yes, it is. All right, so let's dive in. Let's talk about how you both as SLPs and males, tell us about your journey that brought you to the profession of speech-language pathology. So I'll start. Mine's sort of unusual, I guess. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school, Central Catholic High School in Pittsburgh, just in case you happen to know it. <laughs> I, in our junior year, we had to take an aptitude test. And the aptitude test said I should be a priest, a veterinarian, or a speech-language pathologist. I knew the ins and outs of the priesthood and being a veterinarian. And so I went to Brother Clement Smith's office, and we looked up what in the world speech-language pathology was, and it seemed like a good fit. And 40 years later, here we are. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So for myself, I guess kind of long story short to start, my mother is a speech therapist. Her name is Allison Lemke. She's been involved in lots of state-level association projects and committees and also at the national level with ASHA. And so I watched her growing up, and I knew what she did, and, and I knew in general you know, what she worked with people on. And it wasn't actually until I got to college after my freshman year when I was kind of undecided on a major, when I had a conversation with one of the the people that she had previously served who actually told me that she was a saint for what she did. Aww. Were his words. And so I thought, okay, this deserves a closer look by me. And I took the intro class and here I am. Well, and we're so happy that you are here. So you joined you joined the sainthood then. Exactly. Exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. So in talking, so you two have very different paths, but came to the same profession. So in talking to other male colleagues, what do you think are some of the reasons the majority of males come into the profession of SLP? So I have talked to lots of graduate students about men and women coming into it. And I think many of them come in sort of at the same path. They know someone that is a speech-language pathologist, sort of like Matt, not usually someone quite as close to them as Matt, but 
a neighbor or something like that, or they babysat for a child with autism and they went to a speech therapy session, or their grandfather had a stroke, they either attended speech therapy sessions or they found a tremendous amount of growth or value in the profession from grandfather's improvement. You know, some like personal connection, I would say, is, is really how the majority of people come to speech pathology. So Matt, is that your experience too? Yes, it is. And my sample size is smaller than yours, but it, it is consistent with yours. Personal experience, whether it be a loved one who who participated in speech therapy, even I've heard the story of another male SLB whose whose parent was a speech therapist and they followed in, in those footsteps as well. But yeah, usually the consistent answer is some sort of personal connection, which I think tells kind of a cool story about when people are exposed to what this field is all about, that it grips them. So that is such a good point. Once they're exposed to it, it's gripping, but it's the missing link might be the exposure. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of brings us to our next question. Why do you think there are so few males in the profession? Well, I think that they are less exposed. You know, if we're going to operate on our previous hypothesis that getting exposure is how that happens, I think that they are exposed less. They aren't likely to be babysitting, you know, the next door neighbor that Mm -hmm. that has autism or they're probably less involved in the care, too, of a grandparent or something like that. So they might notice less improvements that one would chalk up to speech-language pathology. So that's one reason. I think there are quite a few misperceptions about the profession that are pervade in the male circles. I think a lot of people think that what we do is work with little kids on saying their sounds right, R's and S's. And that so then you have to work in a school setting. And, you know, that's perceived, I think, as very feminine, female dominated school teacher type thing. I don't think that men get to see or get the idea that guys are in hospitals or medical settings or being speech language scientists, the more sciencey kind of healthcare kinds of roles. So I I think that's one thing. I I think there is a misperception about our salaries that we're paid like school teachers, that because we fix R's and S's, that the majority of us work in schools and get school teacher salaries, which are undervalued these days. So I, I think that's another misperception. And I think that Also, people don't see ways to grow in the profession. They think that you're always going to be the teacher teaching R's and S's. They're my hypotheses about it. Matt, do you have? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a whole lot to add to that. I definitely agree, especially with your first point about kind of, you know, maybe men seeing that 
quote, caretaker role or kind of teacher role as being too feminine, being, you know, not something they see themselves in, which is kind of its own discussion, but it's also not the entire field is like what Perry said is not helping little kids with their S's and R's. So even if they they do take issue with that in itself, that doesn't even speak for the fact that they don't even know about what the entire field entails. So, mm-hmm. so I think you make a good point about you know, acknowledging the caregiver role kind of that we play. But I I think that the younger generation is more idealistic, I will say, than I feel like previous generations have been. And I think COVID has really ratcheted that up. People feel compassion, I think, in greater levels for people, perhaps, after the COVID era. And this speech-language pathology is a way to satisfy that need for compassion and helping others. And I am not sure that people, that young people, young men know that or get that or have been exposed to that. So I think that is also a talking point in our marketing of the profession. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it's also as far as schools go, it's kind of a cycle that repeats itself because if you were, as a boy, someone who received speech therapy at school, more than likely your speech therapist was a female. And so then that creates this perception that speech therapists are females and speech therapists are only in schools. A lot of people don't know about all the other avenues. And yeah, I just want to also say that there we have plenty of wonderful male speech therapists in schools. So we don't mean to discount that in any any way. It's just that statistically there are more females. Absolutely. In the schools. We talked about salary. This might be a good time. I did my homework. And I found out what some average salaries are. So Such a good professor you are. Thank you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my pleasure. Yeah, that's, that's my role here. So Statistica said that the average just regular job that requires a master's degree, the average salary is $73,992. But ZipRecruiter said of speech-language pathology – between seventy-three and a hundred thousand dollars is average salary. And then when I drilled down a little further on ZipRecruiter from the states, the average by state, that ranged from seventy-seven thousand to a hundred and thirteen thousand. So while the perception is that with a master's degree you receive less money. The actuality, according to those statistics, is that we receive more money. And I know there are lots of people out there that say, I don't get $77,000. And I understand that. But that's, you know, those are the statistics, the nationwide statistics that are not ASHA statistics. They are completely, you know, neutral third party kind of statistics. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. That is very important. Because that you know there is a misconception. Someone actually, when I told them that I was doing this podcast, they said, "Well, how do speech language pathology salaries compare to occupational and physical therapy?" I didn't know that. Do either yeah, of you know I that? I don't. I didn't research that either. I I will say in the North Carolina public schools, 
actually the majority of speech language pathologists make more than the OTs and PTs. That is an aberration. I will say that in North Carolina public schools because of the pace scale that OTs and PTs are on. My just general perception is that they do make a little bit more money than we do, but not a lot more money. And, you know, they have doctoral degrees and it takes a little longer for them to get those degrees than it takes to get a master's in speech language pathology. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's my impression as, as well as I don't have any statistics to, to cite for it, but they do make just slightly more, but they also have that extra schooling that they do. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Completely anecdotal information there, but that's our impression. Mm-hmm. Matt and I have apparently the same impression yeah. there. Okay. And that was my impression as well when the person asked me, Okay, so we've talked a little bit about reasons why there are not a lot of men in the professions. And I know that Asha has recognized this and Asha has taken some action and you have been, there's no formal committee on this at this juncture in time, but you have been involved in some of these discussions throughout the years. Can you give us a little history on on what's been done to recruit and retain men in the professions? Sure. On my first time on the ASHA Board of Directors, a resolution came up that the board would commit some money to an initiative to recruit and retain men. And of course, you know, that was unanimously voted up. So that would have been like nine or 10 years ago. So, So that first batch of money was committed to it and some research was done and the initial website was created. The website is hearingandspeechcareers.org. And that URL is also on your handout for this presentation too. So that initial website was created and then Asha spent some money with a private firm that works to drive the target population to websites like that. And the target population was young men, high schoolish age men, to drive them to that website. And so that's where that stayed for a while. And then recently, just within the last year, I think, that website has gone under a tremendous amount of revision. And check it out. It has lots of resources for everyone to use. It provides some information that is targeted at the target population, but some resources for everyone to use to recruit men. So anyway, I think they've done a fantastic job of the website. And again, the ASHA Board of Directors committed some money to updating that site. So we're really fortunate that Bob Augustine is the president-elect of ASHA, and he is equally as invested in this particular initiative that Matt and I are. And he has done some ASHA presentations on it, as have I. And so Bob and I have worked together for several years now on it. And so we're so lucky that he is ASHA's president-elect and you know, one of his high priorities is to continue and further this work that ASHA has done so far to to recruit really smart guys to the profession. And actually, not only this podcast is about 
men, but also minorities, other minorities, so that the association is diverse in every way, in every description of diversity to better mirror our general population in the Mm -hmm. United States. Yeah, which is such an interesting point when you talk about mirroring our general population. How many men are in ASHA? Okay, I did my work on those (laughs) statistics too. There are, so this is shocking, you know, ASHA is an association of approximately 230 members. And of those 230 members, 5,410 are men. So 230,000 members? 230,000 complete members, full membership. Of that 230,000, 5,410, or approximately 3.6% of the membership, are speech-language pathology men. Wow. Wow is right. Yeah. Like when you get down to the exact numbers of it, like 3.6% is... Sad, but when you when you think of two hundred and thirty thousand and five thousand of us are guys, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think clinically, you know, I've worked with some great male speech language pathologists, but one in particular was probably the best I've ever worked with. Maybe I should give him a shout out right now. <laughs> but anyway, I mean. I can't think of another profession off the top of my head that there would be such a discrepancy. There's either that that gender disparity in either way. Yeah, you know, females versus males. Nursing so committed a great deal of funds and resources to changing their demographic, to having more men. And they have far more men than we do. Not a ton, but many more men. Do you remember what that percentage? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what it is, Matt. Off. I would think it would be closer to 15%. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. Thinking back to the presentation at ASHA in November, I I don't want to say the number for fear of being wrong, but I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot higher than our field. Yeah, exactly. Right. It is. It is significantly higher than speech pathology. And I think what what is also significant is the number of men entering the nursing profession. I think those those numbers are really climbing. And so, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road, those numbers. So we we have a pretty prominent nursing school here at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And, you know, like I see guys in the gym or talk to guys in the gym or whatever. And there are a lot of guys that are in nursing, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like they have a t-shirt on school of nursing or something like that. So I just guess, but, but two guys, two guys that I just happened to, you know, strike up conversations with in the gym in the recent past are both in the school of nursing. Out of curiosity, did they know what a speech language pathologist was or anything about the field? No. You know, I was speaking Greek to them when I was telling them what I do. Mm -hmm. So absolutely no idea. Uh -uh. Yeah. You know, nursing is pretty prominent. Like people know about nurses and people know what nurses do, but still people don't know who speech pathologists are or what we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a challenge with marketing, not only men, but just the profession in general. Yeah. And minorities too. And, you know, I think many of the 
problems that we're talking about tonight and many of the solutions, too, might apply to recruiting minority populations to our field, too. Before we jump off of statistics, Asha's surveys was so accommodating and getting me all the statistics. So I can give you the breakdown of exact numbers of men and where they work. That would be great. Thank you. So 2014 men work in school settings. 395 work in college university settings. 909 work in hospital settings. Residential health care, 802. Non-residential health care, 939. Random other facilities, 351, which comes to the total of 5,410. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. So interestingly, then the setting where the most men are who are speech language pathologists is schools. Is the schools, yeah. But the most the most ASHA members, uh, like fifty one percent, something like that, fifty one, fifty two percent of ASHA members identify as working in the schools. Okay, so that kind of mirrors. Yeah, it's consistent there. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So we need to recruit more men and we need to recruit more minorities. And you have embraced this goal, Perry. And can you tell us a little bit about what you have done personally to recruit? Yeah, so I think it's it needs to be a top-down and bottom-up effort. We are ASHA. Lots of people say, ASHA needs to do this, ASHA needs to do this. Well, ASHA is made up of us. We make up ASHA, the membership. So anyway, just to say that, I think it is going to take action on ASHA's part to do some of the things that they've already done, but it's going to take action on our part too. And what I have done is I've gone back to Central Catholic High School several times, as as often as I can. They have a, in May, every year they have a, a like career fair. And I have gotten to talk to the boys a couple classes, maybe like three or four groups of 20 kids every year. And I will say they are not really set up to do like a study and they weren't willing to really do that. But I'll say out of those groups of 20 kids, there are about two Lots show interest. I will say that. Lots show interest. And they have chosen to come to my presentation as a medical field that no one made them. They came. But they act interested. But I would say in each class of 20, there are probably one or two kids that you I can see their wheels turning. And they come up to me after the presentation and you know, ask some questions. I give them my email address. No one has ever emailed me. So I have that information. But, and I think the kind of stuff that appeals to that population is sort of the cool, gross stuff that we do, like laryngectomies. I had a child that had a left hemispherectomy. I show the MRI of her brain after her left hemisphere was removed. And I talked to them about that and, you know, laryngectomies and stomas. And I think those are the things that really appeal to that population. I certainly talk about language and because child language is my area, I certainly talk about language and articulation and 
all those kinds of things, pediatric feeding and swallowing. But seems like guys want to hear about that stuff. Matt, mm-hmm. is that so? That's what I've done. That's what I have actively done. But also talked at you know when there's a sort of open house kind of thing here every year at UNCG for undecided majors. They're usually freshmen or sophomores, and I, I think you need to get to this population early before I think men, if they don't have a focus, sort of mess around the first couple of years of college and destroy their GPA so that they're not going to be able to get into a graduate program. So, you know, even if they want to, they've screwed up. So I I think it's important to get to them early and have them have some direction. And then they're good, you know, if they have some direction and they understand, they know that they have to get killer grades to get into a graduate program, they get the killer grades to get in the graduate program, but they've, they've got to have that focus. So I've talked a lot, Matt, do you have? Yeah, that's kind of a good place for me to jump in because that your last point there really resonates with me because while I was aware of the field before I went to college, I was on that track that you just mentioned where I I didn't really have a focus. I, I wasn't preparing for graduate school. And so for a year, year and a half, I was not achieving grades that were going to get me into graduate school. And luckily, I, number one, got into it early enough to turn that, you know, boat around. And number two, I had a really fantastic undergraduate advisor in the program, another male SLP who worked in at my program, who told me I could do it. So, so I really connect with, with that idea there and it, you know, it worked out for me, but it would have saved me a lot of hassle had I made that decision sooner. But I guess as for me personally, what have I done? Not a whole lot yet, aside from participating in discussions like this, I think is important. Number one, because I, I have only been working for two and a half years. I haven't seen as much. I haven't talked to as many people. And so Personally, for me, I think every time I, I participate in a discussion like this or go to a presentation like Perry helped put on in ASHA in November, my, my opinion or, or my, my take gets a little bit more nuanced. And so, so that's how I'm starting to get involved is by, I guess, listening more than I'm talking at the current moment in time so that I can kind of develop that my own ideas and kind of my own thoughts as we go forward and and I continue to be kind of involved in this sort of movement. So I think everybody's got to do, and it's not just guys that Mm -hmm. have to do this. Like if, if we're going to make any progress, women, everybody's got to do it. Got to do some recruiting, even if it's just like one, you know, talking to one person, like talking to waiters or servers and then, you know, and just saying, Hey, like, you look like a smart dude. Have you thought about going into speech pathology? Anyway, I think it is incumbent on all of us to make some effort. If this is important to us, you, us, you know, we all can do something. Bob Augustine also talks about, you know, writing about it. I've, I've written a few articles in the ASHA leader about it and just, you know, getting the word out wherever you can find that opportunity. And that ASHA website, hearingandspeechcareers.org, as I said earlier, has a lot of materials for you to use to go and talk to high schools or uncommitted students, young college students, 
to you know give them accurate information about our profession and to try to recruit them. Well, that's a great resource because you know if you can take their resources and go and do a presentation and not have to reinvent the wheel, then you know one would be more likely to do that. Um, everyone's crunched for time, so having those resources available to take with you to a presentation is very helpful. And we do have a comment from one of our participants. And that person said that even in typically male-dominated fields like medicine, the number of females are now outnumbering the males. Yeah, I I think that is generally true in college populations these days. I think that college students in general, females outnumber males. Again, I don't have those statistics, but I feel like I remember reading those. Yeah, I have read that and have with two in college and one senior going to college, I have visited a lot of colleges and (laughs) Uh all of the colleges that I have visited over the past four years. I think that has been the case with maybe one or two exceptions. Mm -hmm. It's been more females than males. So interesting. A great, great comment there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Keep those comments coming. All right. So, so we've talked about a public relations campaign How about when we talked about salary, so starting off, you know, speech language pathologists are with a master's degree are making more than average. But what do you say to someone who says, yes, but starting off in this profession, I'm going to make this, but 10 years down the line, what am I going to be making? Yeah. So I think there are opportunities for growth. I agree that sometimes there are not as many as some other professions, but people need to look for those opportunities to grow. There are, if you're in the schools, that's the setting that I know best, but you can become a lead speech language pathologist for a school district, or you can become a director of exceptional children or the head of related services for the school district. Those are all opportunities for growth. And Matt can tell you more about the opportunities for growth in the medical sector. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Our um, So at, at On With Life, our two main programs are our inpatient and outpatient programs. And our clinical director, our director of rehab, his name is Dave Anders, is a former speech therapist at On With Life. So there's an example right there of someone who you know advanced his career from being a practicing speech therapist to being in medical leadership and kind of helping to steer the boat of a you know relatively small but growing nonprofit brain injury rehab clinic like how cool is that that's an amazing opportunity and so those those do exist and I know we have kind of a, another point that we wanted to talk about there are more men in you know leadership positions and in you know kind of academic roles than maybe proportionally than there are practicing you know which also can speak to the ability to progress your career throughout time and a private practice is always a possibility, you know, working for a private practice or owning your own private practice. And one of the things that we haven't mentioned before, maybe it would come up a little later in a question, but speech pathology is so flexible. You know, you have one degree that qualifies you to work in so many settings. And I think that flexibility is very appealing to men and to this generation. So if you work for a while in a healthcare setting and you feel a little burned out, you have to do a little retooling, but you're immediately qualified to work in rehab or a school setting. Or, you know, again, 
retooling a little bit and being a clinical educator like I am at a university or, you know, furthering your degree, getting a PhD and being an academic teacher. So there are so many avenues that you can go down with the master's degree in speech pathology, I think. And I think that is something that we need to really play up in our marketing and recruiting as well. I agree. The flexibility of a speech-language pathology career is probably one of its greatest assets. And with that work-life balance and, and being able to, you know, for me, I took time off and was able to go back into it, you know, when the time was right for me and my family to do so. So that is another, the flexibility is something that we need to highlight as a profession. And, and being able to, you know, if you become a teacher, wonderful profession, and I love so many teachers and have friends who are teachers and are thankful for all the teachers who have taught my children. But as far as making a career choice, I think speech language pathology probably offers more flexibility than teaching. So two things there. We have at UNCG, we have many second degree students that have come from the teaching profession to speech language pathology. They saw how cool the job of the speech language pathologist was in a school setting and decided to retool themselves to do that. And then the other bit of flexibility that we did not talk about is the ability to work in one setting and work in two settings, really. You can work in like a rehab setting and then do a little PRN work someplace else, or or more likely working in a school setting and doing a little PRN work in a SNF or rehab setting after hours or on weekends or something. So it provides you that ability to work in a couple of settings at the same time even. Absolutely. I know several people who work in the schools and then they work PRN in a SNF or a medical setting after school and then during the summer. So yeah, that is a real advantage. And so interesting as a professor, are you involved with college advising of advising students who are not communication disorder students? So I am not involved in that advising, but like I said, they have like pick a major fairs at our university and and many other universities too, where people from departments come and, you know, like have a booth or get an opportunity for like 10 minutes to talk to the whole audience about the major and the department. And I've certainly taken advantage of that. But no, I do not do any advising at all. Okay. That is one thing I do not do. Do you feel that your department, well, I don't want to get you into any hot water, but do you feel in general, do you feel like communication disorders is highlighted by college advising Hmm. across the board? That's a good question. I can just speak from UNCG here. I think we are well regarded across our campus and well known. I will say I doubt that we are well known by just the sort of general advisors. So that would be a great thing to do that I have not done that maybe other university people could do is make the general advisors aware of us as a major. So if somebody comes to say a man or a minority or an anybody comes to say, you know, I'm interested in a helping profession. English language arts has always been a strength. I want to contribute to the greater good. I like helping people, things like that. You know, those advisors might direct them to speech pathology. Mm -hmm. 
There's another, we didn't really talk about this before now, but there's another recruiting source. There are a lot of colleges that don't have speech language pathology, including my own college. So I was not aware of the field until after college. So I do wonder what ASHA is doing or what we are doing as a profession to recruit people to graduate programs from schools that don't offer it. Are you aware of any? Yeah, so that's a great point. I am not sure if that was brought up, Matt, in that last presentation, but we did talk about community colleges too being a resource because there are many students that are undecided that go to community college to get the cheap Mm -hmm. general education courses out of the way and try and figure out what they want before they spend the money to come to a big four-year institution. And so that is another field that we need to get into and talk to those students, particularly students in like STEM classes or health professions, health occupations, health professions classes, who, you know, have some idea that is in the ballpark of speech-language pathology and then really do the harder sell in those classes. All right. So anything else that you guys want to add about anything we haven't covered about recruiting? Well, we talked about recruiting a little bit more than retaining. It actually, I don't know the statistics on this, and I don't know if Asha gave you them, but there doesn't seem to be as much of a challenge retaining because people like the profession. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think many men that come into the profession are happy with their jobs, content. It turns out well for them. But, you know, there are some challenges to being the only guy in a school setting or even in a rehab setting. You know, I, I think there are more men around in a rehab setting for a variety of reasons, but there are some challenges to it. And I I do think some men have experienced those challenges and, you know, being, so one of my graduate assistants a few years ago at orientation, they had to answer the question, what is coming to graduate school in speech pathology like? And he said, coming to graduate school in speech language pathology is like joining a sorority. Uh, so true, so true. And, you know, so sometimes that gets old, you know, there are some advantages to it, perhaps, but there's some disadvantages to it, too. And there are some guys like when I got into it, I didn't realize that it was such a female dominated profession. I hadn't done my homework in that respect. And it wasn't a problem for me at all. But I just didn't know what to exactly expect. And I think it really didn't bother me. I think some guys, it bothers more. Some guys have a harder time with being the only guy around. And so I do think there is some dissatisfaction in work settings because of that. But it goes back to the vicious circle that you sort of talked about, Mary Beth. If we don't get more guys, that's never going to get fixed. And, you know, it's the same vicious circle if you don't see guys in schools, as a speech pathologist, you're not going to think that uh, guys can do that job. Or if you don't see minorities having those roles, you're not going to think of, if you're a minority, you're not going to think of yourself as being able to have those roles. So it's, it is it is a vicious circle. We need to increase the number of men to improve those working conditions if those are a challenge for people. But going back to your original 
assertion, I agree with you. I think the majority of men are quite happy with their jobs and their careers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm, but I, I didn't really think of it so much from the perspective that you just presented, just you know, being the only male in the room and not having male colleagues. And, you know, my, um, my first career, I, w- I was the only, I looked around at a meeting, you know, I was right out of college and I was one of 100 people in the room. I was the only female. And there is, you know, as much as we like to promote equality there, you know, sometimes you want to, to have. Yeah. There is not gender equity in speech language pathology. And so that, you know, that's what it's like at ASHA conventions. You might be the only guy in the room at the ASHA convention. And I don't really think about it anymore. It's been such the norm for me for so many years. I don't really think about it until I think about it. And then I think, huh, I'm the only guy in this room. Yeah. Matt, do you, as an early career professional, do you have any comments on that? topic? Sure. It's like joining a sorority comment is definitely, yeah, like hyperbolic, but true in a way, especially in grad school. But, you know, I I guess personally have some great friends for life that I made in that program of, you know, 28 women and three men. So it it is not a bad thing. And I personally really, really enjoyed my cohort. So I thought it was a good experience. Well, that's great. And did you have any, so there were three Yeah. Did did they all go through the entire program? Was there anyone who dropped out of the program? No, all all three of us went through the whole thing. Yeah. And Perry, do you find in your program that the students who start, they... Everybody's successful. Yeah. And have, you know, the same, I think the same experiences that Matt just described and I described too. There were six of us that graduated with our master's degrees from UNCG. I came here to undergraduate and graduate school, and we are very close still. We get together, and I was the only man for years before and after me here. But now we have have one guy now. We'll have two next year. We, We have had as many as six. So, you know, we, two or three is, is pretty par for the course. Okay. Which is consistent with those statistics that you presented earlier. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have a few minutes. So I want to remind everyone that you can put your questions in the chat or the Q&A. Either one will work. And I have some other questions not related to this topic for you too. So first of all, for Perry, in your bio, we mentioned that you are involved in therapeutic horsemanship, and which is another thing that might be very interesting to potential speech-language pathologists. Can you tell us a little bit about that, sure. how you got involved, and, and how someone else could get involved? So back in the day, I've always loved horses and I started taking riding lessons. My parents bought me a horse when I was 14, much to their chagrin. And then a good friend of mine from the horse show world, when I was showing, said, our farm has a therapeutic riding program, and I bet you'd be really good at that. And so I I came over there in high school and volunteered at that farm at their therapeutic riding program, and it was right up my alley. It combined my love for helping people, people with exceptionalities, language and riding and all, all that. So I worked at an amazing Taj Mahal kind of place in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh, all all the summers of my undergraduate career. 
at a farm, a self-sufficient farm that was run by people with severe intellectual disabilities. And we cut hay, like they helped cut hay, we baled hay, we raised pheasants for a release program. I mean, it was just an amazing place. And so, and that's where shortly after that in graduate school is where I got my certification with the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. And so I've been involved in therapeutic horseback riding ever since. And part of my job here at UNCG is to take graduate students and practice true hippotherapy, OT, PT, or speech on horse, on the horse, using the movement of the horse or the surroundings of the horse to help facilitate as a tool to facilitate the, the goals, the speech and language goals that we have. So that's an amazing part of my job that I get to do every week. So if someone were interested in hippotherapy, what what do you recommend that they do? Yeah, so there is the American Hippotherapy Association. You can Google their website or PATH, the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. They, both those organizations offer a credential. And, you know, I have the opportunity to speak around the country and to many different audiences of speech-language pathologists. And almost inevitably in an audience, someone comes up during a break and says, hey, I am working in a therapeutic horseback riding program too, or my school takes kids to one, or I'm involved. I would really love to get more involved in that. So there are getting to be increasingly more speech pathologists, occupational therapists, and physical therapists too, involved in therapeutic horseback riding. And I'm all about that too. Well, that is wonderful. And you have mentioned that you would be so kind as to come back to Keys for SLPs and I would love talk about hypotherapy. Yeah, I would love to do that. Okay. Well, to our participants and our listeners, be looking out for that podcast at a later date, hopefully in 2022. <laughs> and Matt... What are some of your goals? I mean, you're really a brand new, you, you've had two and a half years. You you started your CFY right before COVID, finished during COVID. <laughs> yep. You've had an interesting two and a half years. Yes, I have. And that's a great point is I started right before it all, COVID all started and, and finished my CFY right in the thick of it. And so Certainly not to say that the pandemic is really even over by any means, but kind of sort of coming out of a little bit of a COVID CFY shell a little bit, kind of getting more comfortable with, I don't know, a new normal or what whatever normal is. Not that I've experienced the pre-COVID world SLP with my C's, but just really getting comfortable, continuing to sharpen my skills, continuing to to try and learn from the you know more experienced SLPs that I'm surrounded by all the time. And it's an exciting time to, to work at On With Life where I'm at. We are really growing in our outpatient program. And if I opened the door to the office that I'm in, I'd see the construction zone for our brand new outpatient building that we're building up on the little hill behind our current facility. And, and we're going to be kind of initiating some more formalized driver's rehabilitation and return to work programs in that big, beautiful building that is going up. And so oh, that's wonderful. Really excited. And you mentioned that's a nonprofit? Yes, correct. Onwithlife.org is our website. We're in Ankeny, Iowa. We have a 27-bed inpatient program. We are licensed. The inpatient program, I believe, is licensed like a skilled nursing facility, and it is CARF accredited. 
for stroke and brain injury. Our outpatient program, I believe counting like support groups, especially for the Parkinson's population in Iowa, served over 700 people last year. And so wow. we are, are growing rapidly and it's an exciting time to work here and grow as a speech therapist here. Well, that is exciting. And how old is that organization? Our inpatient program is, I believe, 30 years old now. Okay. And our outpatient program is turning eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, best of luck to you. And as you get a little bit more experience, we would love to have you come back as well and and talk about something interesting. Absolutely. I'd love to actually learn more about that program, so about On With Life. So maybe we can figure something out. Yeah, absolutely. Matt's Matt's the kind of young, cool, smart speech-language pathologist that we're looking for. (laughs) He is the future of the association, of ASHA's association, of our profession. Well, thanks for saying that, Perry. And hopefully we can find... If that's true of me, hopefully we can find more of me. Yes, exactly. We yeah, can we you just will clone yourself, that. Matt? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but along those lines, I do have a, a question for you that I wanted to ask earlier, but there wasn't really time. So when you you were an undergrad and you decided to become a speech language pathologist and go to graduate school, and when you would tell people what you were doing, did were most people at Northern Iowa were most people aware of speech language pathology there or you what know, was their reaction? More, a surprising amount of people were aware of the program, I think. And I don't really know why, but I think our program has a growing reputation in the state of Iowa. Obviously, we have the University of Iowa an hour and a half south, which is kind of the, I guess, quote, birthplace of the field, really, where my mom went to graduate school and, and worked for several years. And I don't know why people recognized what our program was when you would talk to them in campus or, or run into someone. But I just remember being surprised that, oh, you have heard of of our program. And usually it's because, oh, I know someone who's in that. I've heard mm-hmm. about that because, you know, my friend from freshman year dorm floor is in that now, I think okay. was a common kind of answer. So okay, it was encouraging okay. though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we are so happy that you did decide to become a speech language pathologist and Look forward to hearing about your career and your new ventures. So thank you. And your post-COVID, hopefully post-COVID, right? Right, right. Eventually we're going to get there. Yes. Yeah, we better. All right. Well, as a reminder to our participants, if you are taking this course for as part of your state license requirements for live CEUs, be sure to log into your account on speechtherapypd.com by the end of the day today. And I just want to say thank you to all of our participants for listening tonight. And thank you, Perry. And thank you, Matt, for being our guest. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's all go recruit. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.